Welcome to the audiobook podcast of Turing Test, book one of the AI Diaries trilogy. This is E.M. Foner, and you can contact me through Facebook or through my author website, ifitbreaks.com. Chapter 3 Living around humans must be rubbing off on me because I was starting to feel a little guilty about using official equipment for my personal business. It's not that there was any expense involved. The conservation of energy just doesn't work that way in portal dimensions. But technically I was violating the terms of my employment. Rather than hanging around for the singing, I brought Ebeth and Spot straight home, and then spent the night cutting and pasting from Wikipedia to create a voluminous report on the history of human technology. I'll probably receive the Best Observer Award at the next banquet. First thing in the morning, before regular business hours, I brought the minivan by Paul's garage. He was already at work, which wasn't surprising since none of my team benefit from sleep. When I lifted the roll-up garage door, Brutus shot out past me, tail stump wagging, then stopped in disappointment. Sorry, boy, I told him, spots at home sleeping. Brutus snorted and turned to head back inside, then he changed his mind and went on fence patrol, no doubt hoping to scare an early morning jogger. The runners never seemed to figure out that for all of his snarling and jumping at the chain-link fence, The dog always stopped before the driveway, which wasn't even gated. Brutus was on the garage's payroll as a security specialist, if you were wondering. Not a pet at all. What's up, mighty leader, Paul asked, popping out from under an SUV on his homemade mechanics creeper. It looked just like a regular creeper, but the wheels were only there for show. He'd actually converted it from a hoverboard, a real one, not one of those motorized things humans wheel around on. I never inquired how he smuggled it in through our portal without triggering the advanced technology alarm, but my guess would be some form of Rinksian cloaking technology. At least, that's how I bring in the goodies that help make life on Earth bearable. Ebeth had to slam on the brakes for some idiot stopped in the middle of the road, I explained, skipping over the part where I had blown up the idiot's phone. Somebody must have cracked open a fire hydrant nearby, because she drove through a deep puddle going around the car, and the cold water didn't mix well with the hot rotor. Puddles in the middle of winter, Paul said, shaking his head. So why didn't you fix it? Where am I going to find a rotor in the middle of the night, I responded. Come on, don't play dumb, Paul sent over our private channel. You could have taken off the wheel and straightened that rotor between your palms. I replied the same way. I could if I was an advanced AI inhabiting a very expensive encounter suit rather than a human, you mean. Just treat me like you would any other customer. All right, Mark, he said out loud. Let me just put it up on the lift and we'll see what the problem is. He took the keys from me, drove the minivan into his second bay, then started removing lug nuts with an air ratchet before the lift was done moving. He pulled off the driver's side front wheel and made a show of inspecting the damage. Yeah, warped all right. You're looking at 800 bucks for new rotors and pads all around. More if I have to bleed the system and retrain the anti-lock processor bearings. What? I protested. I just checked online and I can get all four rotors and pads for under 150 with free shipping. Paul grinned. I know you're kidding, sir, because I don't see a smartphone in your hand. I can show you the invoice from my parts supplier if you want. All I'm charging is book labor. I did some rapid math. What if you only change one rotor? My insurance would never allow that, Paul said. You did tell me to treat you like any other customer. I sagged in defeat. All right, just fix it. Paul gave me a wink, whistled for Brutus to stand watch, and lowered the garage door. 
He added some thick washers to the wheel studs and put the lugs back on to hold the rotor, then started the van and shifted it into drive. We both watched the rotor spinning, and it was obviously several mils out. Cheap steel, Paul commented, pinching the rotor between his thumb and forefinger until the metal began glowing a dull red. Then he grabbed two heavy steel blocks from his workbench, one in each hand. He crouched a little to get his eyes in the right position, killed the engine remotely, and slammed the blocks together on the rotor, one from each side. Bet you I got it on the first try. How much, I asked, having my doubts about the success of the operation. I'd seen similar chunks of steel lying around every serious welding shop I'd been in on Earth, but I always assumed they were offcuts used for doorstops or spacing. Learn something new every day. Double or nothing on the repair, Paul offered. And what's getting doubled, I asked. My friend pretended to be thinking it over. Well, there's the facilities I have to pay for, you know. The lift, the air compressor, my labor. How about twenty bucks? Done, I agreed. Paul restarted the engine and shifted into drive again. We both watched the rotor spin a few hundred times. Then I got out my wallet and handed over forty dollars. He stuck it in his breast pocket. How about a receipt, I asked. I can take that as a business expense. A receipt will cost you a hundred, he said. If I have to put it in the bookkeeping system and you figure my taxes, insurance, workers' comp... Never mind, I interrupted and killed the engine remotely myself. Other than cheating on your taxes, are you keeping your nose clean? You know me, Paul replied, which is exactly what I was worried about. What are you doing out so early anyway? I thought you'd be home making your human breakfast. She's not my human and she takes care of herself, I shot back, even though I sensed he was baiting me to change the subject. We've only got a few months to go before we can tell the whole world we're here, and it would be nice to make it without any incidents. Oh, and I'm out this early because I promised to go fix the booking computer at the police station. Paul grinned. Tell them to stop watching porn. They claim it's part of the job, I told him. Anyway, if it's the same ransomware outfit that nailed them the last time, I'm going to consider taking a vacation to Russia and paying a visit. Now who's causing incidents, Paul said. He spun off the lugs and washers, remounted the wheel, and snugged it home with the air ratchet. He checked the final torque on the lugs between his thumb and forefinger. You watch out for those hackers. They take threats to their business model seriously. I looked at him suspiciously. And you know this because? I know lots of stuff, he said, dropping the van faster than OSHA standards would have allowed. Outside, Brutus barked twice. That's his customer bark. I'll get the door. You hop in and back out of here so I can make some real money. See you next Tuesday, I called through the window as I drove past him. On the way downtown, I stopped at a drive-thru to buy a box of donuts, and three minutes later I pulled into the municipal parking garage where Helen had stolen a car the previous afternoon. It was still three-quarters empty at this hour, and some of the cars were town vehicles that were garaged there when they weren't in use. The impressively titled Skywalk, which soared fifteen feet over Taft Ave, led into Town Hall, the basement of which was shared by the police department and the tax assessor. "'We've been locked out of the system all night,' the desk sergeant greeted me. He pointed to the holding cell. I had to book those clowns on paper. In duplicate, I asked, wondering if the sergeant knew about carbon paper. No, he replied. I couldn't find the old form, so I just got their particulars down. The sergeant indicated some napkins from a Chinese takeout place that were now liberally covered with indecipherable printing and doodling. I'll enter everything as soon as you fix it. I placed the box of donuts on the counter and sat down in the rolling office chair at the computer used for booking. The screen showed instructions for paying a ransom in Bitcoin in return for a decryption key to recover the hard drive's data. 
All of my team do a little Bitcoin mining on the side, since we're overpowered for our assignments and the money is just sitting there. But I wasn't about to hand any of mine over to a hacker. Any of the other machines affected, I asked the sergeant. I inserted my custom recovery USB stick in the front panel slot and rebooted the machine. Rather than containing an image of the hard drive, the device served as a high-speed wireless bridge to one of my built-in networks. When the screen came to life, I bypassed everything and began restoring the system for my internal backup. I know, you thought I was going to retask one of my quantum computer processors from working on a weather forecast for the weekend to cracking the encryption. Sure, I could go that route if I wanted to, but let me tell you something about AI. Just because we're really good at math doesn't mean we get our jollies factoring prime numbers or computing pi to a superfluous number of decimal places. There's a reason that scientists and engineers use the term significant digits to describe the digits that actually contribute to results. There's fun math and there's boring math. Cracking the crude encryption humans use falls into the latter category. I don't know if any others are affected, the sergeant finally answered after swallowing another mouthful of donut. That's the only computer they let me on. This will take a bit of time and you'll lose any records you entered after 5 a.m. yesterday, I told him, that being the last time I had illicitly made a remote incremental backup of the system. You would think that some of my clients, especially the police and medical offices, would wonder why I always seem to have an up-to-date backup of their confidential data. But human nature is funny, and they're always too happy to get up and running again to ask questions. Great, he said. Are you going to update our software so it doesn't happen again? I pushed back my chair and shook my head. The best security suite in the world can't help if you guys keep visiting compromised websites and opening attachments. I only open attachments from people I know, he protested. The return address on email is no different than on regular mail, I said, brandishing an envelope that had been lying on the desk. You can write whatever you want to on there and the post office will deliver it. The sergeant looked shocked and asked, Isn't that illegal? The young men in the holding cell who had been following our conversation for lack of anything better to do with their time burst out laughing. Yeah, you go and arrest everybody who spoofs an email address, Sarge, one of them suggested. I saw a story on the internet that quantum computers are going to break all of the encryption systems in the world, the other prisoner remarked. That's why I keep all of my money in cash, like I was trying to explain last night when the detective grabbed us. Yeah, me too, his companion said. Since when is it illegal to go around with a few thousand dollars in your pocket? And the drugs? the sergeant asked tiredly. I don't know anything about any drugs, the first young man said. I swear the lab test will come back negative, and if it doesn't, that's because the chemists are all stoned. I read another story on the internet about the drug labs in Massachusetts where, shut up and I'll let you have a donut, the sergeant interrupted. Both of the young men stopped talking immediately. Morning, Lieutenant Harper said, coming around the counter. Got everything under control, Mark? It'll take another twenty minutes, but you're only going to lose a day's worth of data, I told him. The lieutenant nodded. And there's no way we can track these guys down and put them in jail? I shrugged. You could bring in the FBI, and eventually they'll tell you it's some group working out of Russia or North Korea, but what's the point? The real issue is getting your guys to stop surfing the web for, I know, I know, he cut me off. Grab your coffee and come into my office for a minute. I want to talk to you about something. I found my personal mug, which should give you an idea of how often I get called to the police station, and filled it from one of the portable urns at the coffee station. I chose the local roaster's blend that Ebeth likes. 
All of the departments in town had outsourced their coffee production to the startup owned by one of the mayor's nieces, and from what I hear, the coffee is doing more than the mayor to keep the town running smoothly. I followed the lieutenant into his office and took a seat, prepared to nod sympathetically at some lame excuse as to why his own computer had been ransomed. The lieutenant surprised me. There's no easy way to say this, Mark, so I'll come right out with it. Your friend Kim is too good at her job. I don't know what you mean, I said, simultaneously accessing the health department's database to check on her performance reports. Had somebody really figured out she was posing as a human based simply on her stellar work? No, there weren't any special notes in her personnel record. When you said an old school friend had moved to town and was having trouble finding a job in her field, I was happy to make the recommendation, he continued. But she comes in early, stays late, never makes mistakes, and worst of all, she's too strict on inspections. You've got to explain to her how things work around here. You mean the other inspectors are complaining, I asked? We only have three inspectors in the entire department, and one of them is the manager. Everybody is complaining, and I don't just mean town hall employees. She's two by the book. Didn't she even hit you with a fine? I kind of challenged her to find anything wrong, I admitted. She got us for mold in the ice machine, some minor documentation lapses on locally sourced ingredients, and a dog in the kitchen when I brought Spot to the meeting without thinking about it. You've got mold in your ice machine? The lieutenant asked with obvious concern. Not anymore. Just talk some sense into her, the lieutenant said. It's a small town and we all have to live together. Will do, I promised. Is there anything else? Well, as long as you're here, he said, and spun his monitor around so I could see the familiar ransomware message. It must have gotten in over our local network or something. That sounds probable, I lied. I'll just grab my Miracle Fix-It stick from the booking computer as soon as it's finished there. Don't forget your coffee, he said as I rose from the chair. Right, I said. I had various ways of disposing of the food and drink I took in for the sake of appearing human, but I hated waste, so I took a long swallow and shunted the coffee into a clean holding unit I could drain for Ebeth later. She claimed it was even better reheated. Back in the main office, the restore process was around 60% complete, so I pretended to be as entranced by the progress bar as your average human and got going again on my weekend forecast for Kansas City. You'd think that predicting the weather for a landlocked place would be easy, but it doesn't work that way. I've been competing in a contest sponsored by the Cable Weather Channel to see who can offer the most accurate forecasts there over a full winter. We're graded on high, low, and average temperature, precipitation, and severe weather events like thunderstorms, hail, and tornadoes. I'm currently in second place behind some farm kid who actually lives there, which I think is cheating, though he probably doesn't have access to the same military radars and spy satellites I'm tapped into. You can think of it as a battle between man and machine. I crunch the numbers, while the kid bases his forecasts on how the animals act and the way the air feels. Thanks to the prize, there are 21,939 people participating in the contest, so being in second place is no small feat. An hour later, I was done at the police station and had detected a blind spot in the radar grid that could theoretically allow a foreign power to slip in a nuke designed to maximize an EMP burst in the high atmosphere. I wasn't worried about that, but the coverage hole shaved about 0.2% off the reliability of my weekend forecast. I figured that filing an anonymous report with the proper military agencies was just begging for trouble, so instead I did a little remote programming during my drive home and fixed it for them. This concludes Chapter 3 of Turing Test by E.M. Foner.